0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Class Unity Transmissions. Today, I'm delighted to invite Douglas Lane, the commissioning editor of Sublation Magazine, to join us. Doug Lane is also a uh, very familiar voice in the left podcasting scene. He's a novelist as well as everything else. Uh, And uh, you will have heard him um, uh, in his podcast, Diet Soap and possibly also in his work previously with uh, Zero Books. Doug, I'm really thrilled to have you with us today. Um, it seems we should maybe start by just talking about the elephant in the room. <laughs> you, uh, There's a lot to get through today, but I, I think we'll talk first of all about your recent ban from Twitter. Could you, just to kick us off today, tell us a, a little bit about what happened to you there?
1: Well, I I don't know the all the ins and outs of what went into the decision but i can tell you what tweet um got me banned uh and and I, maybe i can contextualize
0: it so yeah please do yeah uh,
1: um for the last several months i have been more active on twitter than i had been in the past um primarily as a reaction to what i thought of as a failure of the of the broad left the far left you know the marxist left the socialist left and even, the, you know, going all the way to like the progressive left uh, to take up some revelations that had come out from uh, particularly Matt Taibbi and, and the, the Twitter files. But then mm-hmm. beyond that, the articles in The Intercept. And then if you look into it, uh, you know, it's kind of been all uh, it's been there all along, at least since 2017, that there's been a project to create an, uh, an apparatus to control information in the United States and I think throughout the West. Uh, that's been in the works since 2017. And you can read the publicly available documents from the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, and and along with some civil society organizations and NGOs that uh, often act as cutouts for these security agencies. So when I read the Twitter files and then started to look into it, I became alarmed, um, I think both as a publisher and as a, a leftist. And uh, I that led me to try to engage with people who were um, either ignoring or downplaying or even attacking the Twitter files. Uh, And that just led to a kind of consistent engagement on a variety of levels on Twitter with with people on the left. And um, along the way, uh, there was a particular account called post left watch mm-hmm. which somehow the algorithm decided i should see all of their tweets um i haven't really talked to them yeah but i have tweeted in response to them and uh there was one where the uh the, whoever is behind that account tweeted out that uh rfk jr's appearance on uh i think it was rising uh which is a a a, a a youtube show and podcast um with brianna joy gray uh was they were wrong to um invite rfk jr on that, that it was some sort of uh c- crime or violation of norms at least to have platformed him and that it that the fact that brianna joy gray would give him uh the space to spread misinformation about vaccines indicated that she was Post-left, no longer left wing and a right winger of some kind of reactionary, and uh and that the whole thing was uh, uh de- deplorable and, and awful. And and so my response to that tweet was sarcastic. I tweeted back, how is this even allowed? RFK Jr. should be shot. Right. Joking. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And but that was a vi- uh, taken up as a violation of the terms of service of Twitter because it was yeah. a call for violence. Um, and even though it was a sarcastic response to what I thought was a, a an, an hysterical, you know, and censorious and kind of authoritarian tweet from this post-left
0: yeah, watch. Yeah, I'm familiar with that account and I'm familiar with the style of censorious posting that you're referring to there. They're not the only account out there by any means that does this, but... They've sort of arrived kind of out of the blue over the last few months to really kind of uh, become a kind of a well-known critic of sort of supposed post-left tendencies. Um, So we'll unpack that a bit more, I think, in this episode. And I want to for sure zoom in on on your comments and arguments concerning the Twitter files as we go. But I just thought maybe to to sort of uh, set the table a little bit here, I wanted to take you back in time a little bit to April and uh, a tweet that I remember uh, bookmarking at the time. And it's, it's stayed in my mind actually uh, since then, where you uh, tweeted uh, what you called a list of priorities for an independent left. And I'll just read them out here and, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, I have a few questions to follow. Um, mm-hmm. so the first priority is ending the conflict in Ukraine by opposing the very dangerous, continuing escalation. The second is protecting the working class from the consequences of the continuing financial and fiscal crisis that has been expressed through inflation and the banking crisis. Third is opposing the war on disinformation and the expansion of the security state into, and you you put this in inverted commas here, the, the whole of society Mm-hmm. And you've been quite outspoken, I think, on all of these topics uh, since then. So I just wanted to to maybe uh, to, to sort of warm up today to 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 maybe talk about these priorities a bit. Maybe the most important question here is one that's not actually a priority, but the, the phrase itself, an independent left. Um, what is an independent left today? What are the criteria that would maybe Uh, We would want to sort of identify with it to to know whether it exists or not.
1: Well, in the United States, and I think in a way around the world, an independent left would first and foremost have to consciously break from the popular front strategy um, and try to develop a socialist political project, probably a party um, to, to seek political power in one way or another for the socialists left and and that would mean organizing the working class to seek political power for the working class um uh rather than uh conceiving of the the independent the, the conceiving the left project as being uh in uh, engaged in a war against reaction in the right um it would be actually seeking to gain political power for the working class against uh you know, the, the capitalist political state and the capitalist order. Um, that's what the an independent left would be attempting to do. Um, and that means first and foremost, breaking with the Democratic Party, not just like kind of halfway breaking with the Democratic Party, um, not just like voting green or something like that, but truly no longer conceiving of the project of protecting the left wing of capital as a, a important part of the project for an independent left um so that's that's how i think about about it and it you know it, it um it i could have said the very same thing uh in 2000 say 15 um and it and and thought i meant it and um but but i would have but i found i found it Difficult uh, in 2016 to remain committed to th- that kind of independence. And then, and I know many people found it even more difficult than I did uh, after the election of Trump or the passage of Brexit. And I will say, you know, even earlier than that moment, um, back as far as when I was, uh, you know, still in my 20s, my late 20s, um, the election of George W. Bush um also made it very difficult to remain independent of the democratic party and 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 to conceive of, of being left uh, as something other than to uh, uh to engage in combat with what i saw as a reactionary or authoritarian uh right and you know you could go back further uh i would be too young for it to really have meant anything but you know the election of reagan in 1980 also set off a similar kind of uh reaction within the radical left um the dsa itself was formed um in that in reaction to uh, uh reagan and of course the popular front strategy goes all the way back to uh world war ii and the in and, and the nazis and joining uh the stalinist decision to join uh the the most progressive aspects of
0: capital to combat the nazi and the right. fascist right 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 so it might have some historical utility in certain contexts but uh but you're opposed to it presently
1: yeah and i think it probably was a mistake in 1980 i mean I, I you know i don't i don't i i think that um this is something that i've come to believe over years you know, partly through my engagement, and maybe largely through mm-hmm. my engagement with um, uh, Chris Catron of the Platypus Affiliated Society, right. but but it's not just his theory. I mean, if you look back uh, at um, the way that the New Left was critiquing society and and was developing a politics um, in the '60s, say, and and then the way in which their politics changed. After nineteen seventy three, and after certainly after Reagan, to be no longer critical of the Fordist state the way someone like Mario Savio was in nineteen sixty four, but instead to be trying to revive the Fordist welfare state uh, after like nineteen eighty one, um, you know you can see that 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 it that 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 is that is clearly a a step back and a a kind of regression or a mistake but it's one that is understandable given the intensity of neoliberal uh regression or you know the 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 way in which it felt as though the working class were under uh, attack um Mm -hmm. in the era of neoliberalism of course now we are facing a moment where we don't know what's coming next, but I think neoliberalism is being replaced and we are in a kind of blind way being put into the position of defending and trying to hold on to neoliberalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and this is all a mistake and this is what we'll always do unless we develop an independent politics that isn't primarily aimed at fighting the right wing of capital, but, but
0: yeah. 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 I think that's actually, it's, it's uh, you've um, sort of um, uh, previewed there. I I think a theme that I want to sort of address with you as we discuss, you know, those three priorities that you mentioned in your tweet that we we were talking about just a moment ago. Um, You know, so the, the, the first one of those priorities is the war in Ukraine. And, um, I, I anticipate based on what you're saying about your, uh, sort of engagement with Gene Bajelon and, and people like that, that, that you'll have a lot to, to say on this topic, but, you know, um, if I can say so, my own view is that the, the U S left has kind of honeypotted itself when it comes to Ukraine. And that's a, a phrase that I've stolen from Matt Taibbi, um, so the, the common fra- refrain on the left is that there's imperialism on both sides of this conflict. It's kind of like the inverse of Trump's famous, you know, very fine people on both sides comment uh, in Charlottesville. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, so so maybe uh, the imperialism on both sides argument has empirical application in certain timeframes like World War One, where you actually have a multipolar world order. But I think I want to put it to you that in the present context, it's kind of insane to to draw an equivalency between US and Russian power as if, well, you know, well, they're both obviously imperialists. So therefore, you know, I mean, even if mm-hmm. Russia is an autocracy, even if it is a problematic state uh, in terms of its internal affairs, um, the reality is Russia has a GDP close to that of Italy. I think there's clear evidence that 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 the United States is actually the aggressor here, not Russia. The Russians warned us for decades about NATO expansionism, US mm. policymakers like William Burns told us long ago that Ukraine was like the hardest of red lines for Russia. And mm. we have people like Lev Galonkin writing in the nation, uh, in several articles now that the US is, you know, risking a lot here because by favoring Ukrainian movement west, as it were, joining NATO, joining the European Union. Um, and by you know, and it's not just antagonizing Russia, but it's also potentially um, inviting the famous term, you know, blowback from Chalmers Johnson. Um, uh, it's inviting blowback by openly funding w- uh, what what appear to be organized fascist, properly fascist uh, regiments. Mm-hmm. So I, I just kind of. W- you know, uh, that's how I see this. Are conflict. you saying I'm
1: soft on Ukraine? I'm too forgiving of the, the United States in a way? or what, No, I, what, I'm not.
0: Um, I'm, I guess I'm passing the microphone to you to see like w- what's going on here, because it seems to me that by um, inviting this kind of imperialism on both sides critique that we're intentionally trying to to dilute essentially um, th- the critique of Biden's more sort of liberal or cosmopolitan imperialism you know the the, the kind of globalization style imperialism that the united states mm-hmm. has long sort of championed um maybe that's well, too editorial uh, question i apologize but no 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 it's fine yeah. i
1: i i i'm glad to receive it uh that question because usually i get attacked by people who are um you know very committed to Zelensky's fight and the and the people's fight in ukraine and the thing i get at you know told as well don't the, the ukrainian people have the right to defend themselves right. who are you to tell the ukrainian people what they should and shouldn't do that kind of thing yeah they have the right to do um, NATO. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right um well they they actually don't have that right but uh <laughs> but uh here my thinking about this i'm trying to to think beyond the way in which this is framed by yeah international law and realist politics and sure, spheres sure. of influence and and a kind of uh imperialism um that isn't maybe equally on both sides but sort of defines um uh the our, our understanding of 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 these conflicts and informed uh policy and 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 relations in general it, it and, and I'm not a scholar about this. I'm is, you know, like I'm not, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know the history of Ukraine deeply. I don't, I, I've, I've you know, caught up by reading newspaper articles and things like that. But overall, my view is that for, as an American, uh, we, workers and, and, and the public in America has, a, ha, should be outraged by the conflict in Ukraine given the um the history uh and the uh, and the history of promises that were made to the american public after the collapse of the soviet union um and given the opportunity to move beyond the the incredibly stressful and tension filled and existentially dangerous cold war um the the fact that we are in, again in a close to hot conflict with russia a nuclear power um is not acceptable given that there was a time not that long ago maybe 15 years ago where there was a cut where the talk wasn't about bringing uh just about bringing ukraine into nato but bringing uh the soviet uh, former soviet union i'm sorry russia into into nato um like the the idea of a a world, a new world order with a thousand points of light and equal trade between all these nations and the 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 capitalist promise I mean, I know why I have a critique of capitalism that it informs me as to why it the capitalist class or the bourgeois class will not be able to deliver their utopian dreams or promises, but nonetheless, you know the the end of history. Uh, was put forward as a political promise and um, and it's and it's actually not even a particularly utopian one it was not a promise to end all inequality it was not a promise for uh, you know a a full employment it wasn't a promise for it was just a promise of ending the dangerous international conflicts around the world to at least down to the level of small skirmishes right and rather than world historic conflicts between major powers and nations. And there's a possibility of a more unified liberal order. And that has fallen apart. So the as uh, I just think that being kind of a kind of flat footed about it and self-interested about it, um, working people should be, you know, uh n- not suckered into the idea that Putin is some unique uh, threat or he's a you know that he's a just a villain like out of a James Bond movie but rather that the established uh, power in the United States was unable to succeed when um, there was almost nothing standing in their way to create some sort of uh, peaceful code you know world order where we could coexist and operate on the level of combat through, Economic policies and trade, rather than threats to exchange nuclear bombs. That that's so. That's my big picture kind of analysis. And then, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um. The the the, the other thing I would say is clearly yes. I mean, um. The 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 demand that, that Ukraine not join NATO is not an unreasonable demand. Um. The, the we were clearly uh int- attempting to encircle uh russia because because there had over time been his in these conflicts of interest between the russian state and the and the neoliberal neo-imperial order of nato from nato and the united states um uh that you know you can it it, it happened in syria and yugoslavia and so, you know there's these yeah, moments yeah. where we were in opposition so we were attempting to suppress uh a political enemy and that and we were doing it uh through you know basically encircling russia with nato power and um and i think um sometimes i think that the uh arming of ukraine and the refusal to negotiate when he started amassing troops and and the crossing of all these red lines was actually an intentional act of aggression and also a a, a kind of and that the invasion was the outcome that the united states is seeking that this conflict is not something that the u.s is sad to see happen and it and you know we aren't wanting to um end it anytime soon uh for me i you know have a i grew up during the cold war i was born in 1970 so i remember the reagan era's kind of retread of more uh substantial uh cold war paranoia and 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 nuclear uh fears um and, you know i i watched the day after on television when i was in junior high i remember that um yeah terrifying. Yeah, and, yeah and so i uh do uh, that is part of the motivation behind my uh, s- strong anti-war stance when it comes to Ukraine. And, and, and I, I also have to say like, when I, when the invasion first happened, what did I do? I just said, Oh, who is this Zelensky guy? I watched, uh, what's the name of his show? Servant of the people. That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You watched it. You watched it. I've never watched it. Yeah. And it, you know, and he was his pop. He, he, it was a kind of, it, it let me in on a lot about Ukrainian corruption, um, because it 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 definitely the fact that bribery and 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 uh, inequality was just a built into baked into every layer of Ukrainian civil life was a part of the show, hmm. but um, but definitely depicted um, Zelensky as a charming kind of Mister Smith goes to Washington type character. Yeah, you got
0: that impression, yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, I was like, uh, I said, I know this is propaganda. I know I shouldn't fall for this propaganda. But on the other hand, I kind of feel like someone who would make this show this way and uh, that that would resonate with the public, despite the fact that it's all spectacle and there's, you know, obviously real politics in the background. I think it's too bad that the country was invaded because Zelensky seemed to be on a path of trying to at least create Uh, a normal liberal democracy in Ukraine. You know, kind of uh, to a more um, secure and and, uh, you know, to move Ukraine out of the position of being a failed state into being a regular uh, state.
0: And yes, I mean, Glenn Greenwald, sorry, just to cut across you there, you know, I was listening to Glenn Greenwald uh, during the week and um, he was uh, talking about um, you know, some of these some of the history of Zelensky in power, and you know, he was listing off a, a number of egregious policies that uh, you know were were before the invasion, where that 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 seemed quite authoritarian in nature. You know, banning Russian Orthodox Church, shutting down um, you know uh, pro Russian uh, TV stations, uh, opposition TV stations. And even banning uh political parties, uh one of that which was before? See, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, one, time, one, right? one I was of which, just watching yeah. Servant
1: of the People. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Right. But one one of which even was um there was one party he banned that that was even like ten percent of the parliament in terms of its, you know the number of seats it had so wow. you know and this is all pre conflict again that I'll I'll put the link to the to the greenwald episode in the uh, in the show notes for people who want to check that out it's it's well worth listening to in terms of the kind of just breadth of this kind of question of because cause what greenwald's trying to get into the meat of here is the this kind of refrain in the in the center liberal kind of uh discourse around ukraine which is that you know, we're protecting democracy from authoritarian aggression here. And of course, he's trying to expose the fact that, well, Ukraine isn't exactly a model. And you've already hinted at this, you know, it's a highly corrupt society, but, you know, that there's um, really... Powerful Ukrainian oligarchs, et cetera. You know, I, I, I let people listen to the to the Greenwall show. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah.
1: Zelensky himself was was backed by an oligarch. Yeah. Um, the 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 television show that he created was and um, it uh, political propaganda. It was the beginning of his campaign uh, to become the president. Um, he uh, I, and since um, the invasion, he's certainly been. Extremely authoritarian. It's, he just said he's not going to hold any elections until the war is over. Right. Um, uh, and and uh, yeah, I don't believe I, you know, I I agree that like my original view was myopic and Pollyanna and but I but I didn't start. I just like I didn't have an, a knee jerk anti US imperialism reaction to what was happening. I I, I and I, you know, I would have. I, in general, I tend to think that the the more bourgeois rights uh, uh, people can achieve, that means like, you know, protection from corrupt officials, some due process, uh, you know, the right to assemble, free speech, and along with that, um, relative wealth um, within the working class. You know, the more affluence that uh, uh, the industrial base can accrue for itself that that's all for the 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 best and that, that those creating the conditions for organizing politically for socialism and for transcending these conditions might occur um and that it was very difficult to struggle for socialism within an authoritarian uh system where that are, it's half run by warlord or warlords or you know oligarchs and you know where the the mob is as likely to be your security is as the you know municipal police so um but so but having said all that i definitely believe now that um the call for a peaceful negotiated settlement in ukraine and uh you know with some concessions to putin along you know, about territory uh, in the donbass and certainly including crimea is a uh, not a uh, an outlandish thing to call that's not a pro-putin thing to call for it's a pro-american thing to call mm. for it's a pro working class thing to call for and, and
0: so why when when i gave you my long-winded question there uh some moments ago um now uh y- your reaction was oh so you think i'm being too soft like what what was what did you think i was saying well, because, that um, gave you that impression
1: no nothing exactly it's just it was a <laughs> it was the it was the Look I've I've kind of gotten a little defensive I think after months on Twitter and what yeah, I think I see it. I can totally doing, understand yeah yeah um and I've uh I think what it is is it's a matter of there I think there's this um anti-imperialist left which was very like the, that might be embodied in a, in a media organization like the gray zone hmm. which okay. um uh oh, and, and which maybe uh glenn Greenwald is aligned with at times certainly um uh, which is uh, in, in this moment not not wrong in its critiques of U.S. power, but which I do think Gene is correct to, to point out is like misses part of the reality, which is that this not that every nation is equally imperialist or that the U.S. doesn't have a, an incredibly dominant position in the world and really there's one world state and it's the U S state and NATO. And then with, you know, that's, that's trying to run the whole global capitalist system. I think that's all true. But on the other hand, the capitalist system and all its contradictions, including the tendency to create monopoly powers and the tendency to drive, uh, nations towards imperialist projects exist in every nation. And it's not, uh, imperialism is not is not some cultural
0: product of the United States. It is yeah. You see that's right. I, I, that's that's where I bristle uh, with, with Gene and and I you know I, I Gene has a lot of things to say that I admire and I, mm. I you know I consider him a, a comrade and this is not a, a an anti Gene thing by any means but you know I I think Gene and Cuba and people like that I I, I I, I I do disagree. I think I, I just instinctively, viscerally, I can, I'm not sure how to fully express that, but I I think they equivocate um too much uh you know uh because whatever Russia's sins are, whatever China's sins are, and whatever uh, power political tendencies they're engaging in as competitor nations, I will certainly agree that they're competitor nations that are playing power political games. No question. And I think those can even be thought of and understood in Marxist terms and should be understood in Marxist terms as specific, Mm. you know, vestiges or or fractions of domestic capital. Mm. uh, And there's probably even fractions Mm. within that again, you know, like as capitalism is is complicated. Um, But, you know, I I suppose maybe I've read too much Leo Panitch in my life or something, but, uh, Mm. you know, it seems to me that um, there is a world order Level power in in uh, in our current configuration in our in, in in this moment, and there has been for many decades now. And it's it's not Russia, it's not China, it's very much you know. With all due no, respect, yeah. like it's 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 and and to to, to start talking, about what uh, to me and this was kind of the nature of my question. Maybe I didn't express it terribly well, but you know, to, to me again, it's just this idea that once we start to say imperialism on both sides there's a certain equivocation there which automatically dilutes the question of america's world ordering liberal cosmopolitan vision which which i consider essentially to be the expression of late neoliberal uh you know imperialism or or, or it is it it does answer the question of what imperialism actually is today um well it- yeah. Just
1: yesterday I, re- I recorded a conversation with Chris Katron, which will be about be out tomorrow. And, Look forward to it. Uh yeah. And he, you know, he's, he constantly tries to take these contrarian kind of positions, but not out of uh, orner- orneriness or just trollishness, but in order to try to point to socialism, I think. And I yeah, I, so I,
0: think, I agree with and, that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so one of the things he said is, Oh, absolutely, you know, the United States and NATO run the world. They are creating a, a system of of uh domination um and it is necessary <laughs> it is necessary <laughs> interesting. Um, um, that uh that, you know th- these for these trades to happen the, for the for shipments to go through for uh the order to be maintained, just like the police is necessary and in, in a, you know uh, in a city, policing function of the united states is necessary in global capitalism and what what he he then would say or you know if you push him in the right direction if you respond correctly is that that does not mean that what is necessary now will have to be necessary in the future but what i think that what he's pointing to is without an independent socialist politics that can transcend uh the or aim at transcending the what's the conditions that make that necessary we will uh always be asked to start picking sides and another thing that happens is that the anti-imperialist left splits off from the anti-fascist left and uh one consequence of that is that um there can be rather than an anti-imperialism developed as a critique of u.s capital and the u.s state power uh there can be kind of a, 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 a an anti-american politics that that develops which is basically saying the there's a something to the american culture there, you know that that uh,
0: pushes it to be imperialist. Doug, does something in their character h- help me out here, Doug? I, I mean, I heard Chris, uh, and for listeners who who don't know who Chris Catron is, it it might be actually handy if if we're going to go down this road a little bit. That maybe you'd say a little mm-hmm. bit more about platypus and and mm-hmm. who Chris is. And I've I've a huge admiration and respect for Chris. That that has I I will be honest with you, it's hard one years ago I did not have much you know overlap with right. him, and I think history has kind of pushed me in his direction and i've, I've there's a number mm. of people in my orbit that I will say the same thing to you know Phil Cunliffe, mm. a good friend of mine on on the bunga show uh you know I've said the same thing to him um you know and i'm I'm so I'm happy to kind of be upfront about where where my yeah. politics have moved over recent years, but did I not hear Chris Catron on your show not that long ago taking Cedric Johnson apart for his argument about the need for the police in 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 American cities? And, and so I just do do you do you recall that? And and, and how? Do yeah, you... I do recall that. Yeah. Okay. So
1: right, and I just he didn't say that. I, I am paraphrasing him in the, right this moment. He didn't com- make the comparison between. Police in the cities and the US power in the world. But what, um, yeah, what, here's what I'll say about that is that uh, Cedric Johnson's uh, insistence that, well, first of all, Cedric Johnson said even in a Soviet, even in a communist society, in a socialist society, we would need police. And uh, that I don't believe is the same thing as saying as long as we are living within a a state-centric uh capitalist society where the relations between nations are mediated through real politics uh, you know and and through uh you know commodity production and exchange we will have the necessity for these kinds of monopoly powers to set up relationships and use their uh, uh, monopoly on violence or their, their <clears throat> dominance to create order in an otherwise fractured and disordered world, but that is that doesn't mean that the uh, a, an international party that sets up a new basis for relationships between the nations, one based on working class power and a new. And an attempt to transform uh, social relations or civil society, which means also transforming the mode of production. If those things could start to be uh, accomplished, then the 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 necessity for this kind of dominant centralized monopolist power would would diminish. So, Cedric Johnson was saying there will always be cops, and what uh, Chris Catron is saying. Unless we develop socialism, there will always be something like U.S. power and it probably will be U.S. power for a long, long time.
0: OK, that's a good uh, that's a good that's a good answer. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I probably agree with that, actually. But yeah. but um, I, I find but that in there, this moment, I, it's
1: very yeah. unsatisfying. It's, it's very, very not uns, at yeah, all satis-
0: that's that's what I was going to say, that 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 really yeah. sticks in my gut, because. I actually have some sympathy for Cedric Johnson's claims on this front. Like, I think, you know, it is, you know, clearly the case that even in Finland, right, probably the country in the world with the most progressive uh, policing and incarceration system on the planet, right? It's, 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 one would not recognize the American penal system in comparison to the Finnish one, right? It's, it's, they're just, Mm -hmm. they're so worlds apart, um, uh, and yet, even there, you know, th- th- the question is, you know, well, well what do you do with, um, you know, a, a, a murderer? What do you do with, uh, you know, a serial rapist? Uh, things like this, mm-hmm. right? Or, 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 or someone who's politically very dangerous, for example. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that 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 it seems to me, those questions don't go away in socialism, you know. Um, right. Right.
1: Yeah, and and look, the the idea that we would not have to have some social mechanism to deal with um aberrant, what would I hope become aberrant rather than necessary behavior. Yeah. Like, you know, the 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 claim, oh, society made me do it would go away. Right. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but nonetheless yeah. there would be yeah. aberrant behavior under socialism. Well yeah. yeah. Um uh you know, the the that we there may need to be some sort of justice system in a socialist society but i would be reluctant right now especially but even if you gave me six months to a year to try to write it all down i'd be reluctant to really tackle that uh that aspect of it because i feel like the first step would be it it, that before we can decide what kind of justice system we would need in a so in a truly communist society one where we've transform the mode of production we're not in a transition we're in a common society you know before we can determine that we need to figure out well how are we going to change everyday productive relations what is the new form of uh civil society going to be if not based on one based on labor how is labor going to transcend itself and then And then, if that could be accomplished, we can see even some progress. You know, after in a post-revolutionary moment, we can see some progress in that domain. Then we might start to think, well, how can? And I think it would be a matter of dismantling for the most part, not, no doubt, not. You know, we can start to figure. Okay, well, what do we? What do we still need? What do we want to strip away in terms of the police um, powers and the and the body of armed men who will go out and enforce the law? Um but yeah, uh so yeah, I mean uh overall we're in this moment where uh well it's interesting because in 2016 everyone wanted to be a socialist, but socialism I mean, everyone on the left wanted to be a socialist. Um, every th- there was a huge influx of support for the DSA. Uh Bernie Sanders made it mainstream to be a socialist, and in the process socialism got redefined as some kind of return to Fordism and and neo neo- Keynesian economics and um, and now, after the failure of that approach, uh, I'm I'm here going, well, let's try to remember what socialism was historically, what it, what did Marx think about, you know the the aims of socialism, what was in the critique of the Gotha program, which I was doing at the time, but it was sort of toler- tolerable at the times. Like, yeah, 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 we'll get there eventually. First, Fordism, then socialism, then. And I was like, well, we're not going to get to go back to Fordism. So, what can we still can we imagine a- achieving an independent socialist project to create the conditions for socialism that of our current state, our current conditions. And uh, you know, a lot of people want to say yes to that but just don't feel it just don't it seems too like too much it's too utopian you're talking about not needing cops you're top you're talking about uh maybe not needing armies um and it seems like you know you, i live on sesame street or something like i just uh, live in la la land um but i do think that you can make a case for the need to organize the most civilized aspect of society the most civilized sector in a society which is the working class um to to take power and and transform society
0: right on yeah um yeah it's, it's it's um it's the proletarian state that's going to wither away in the long run not not the capitalist state and i think you know right that's uh that that's that's a an appropriate and important thing to remember. It's it's a good response. Um, mm. Look, I, I, I'm conscious of of your time tonight. Uh, I'm
1: enjoying you. I'm enjoying talking to you. So I'm not in I'm not in a huge hurry. But
0: <laughs> very but good.
1: I, be conscious of your time as well.
0: Uh, thank you. Uh, so, so look, I I, I kind of um, I know that a big topic for you lately, and it, I, I can't I can't talk to you t- tonight and, and not bring this up, right? It's been huge on your radar, I think, and and also on mine. And i found your stance on this um, inspirational and uh, impressive. Um, You have been vocal uh, about uh, revelations emerging from publications and and journalism recently by people like Matt Taibbi, uh, Michael Schellenberger, uh, Jacob Siegel, You've had mm-hmm. these sorts of people on your show. Um, the hypothesis emerging from their work on the Twitter files, we can say more about what those uh, are or were in a moment for, for listeners who may not be familiar. Uh, but the basic thesis that's emerging is that there's a kind of a whole of society um, um, mechanism or dynamic emerging um, in in the Western world now uh, that uh, is creating a kind of a, a new mode of censorship, maybe one we haven't fully encountered before, because traditionally, of course, this, the, the state would be um, central to any sort of definition of, of what a regime of censorship is or how it functions. Uh, here we have something somewhat innovative. The whole of society approach is kind of more Foucauldian in a way. It mm-hmm. um, it's a distributed mechanism of censorship. Um, now it seems that that although something like that emerging would be new uh, and would be something the left would want to talk about, in fact, um, we have a problem here because Marxists especially seem to be kind of ignoring this topic and or at the very least, saying, like, you know, people like Carl Bayer, uh, or Bayer, if, if that's how that's pronounced, mm-hmm. are saying, you know, it's not really a big deal. There's nothing going on here that we didn't already know. Um, corporations have al- re- always done what corporations do. There's always mm-hmm. been these kind of cozy relationships with the state. It's a nothing burger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can you take me from there? Like, uh, do well, OK, start, there has the, all, start start with the nothing burger uh, hypothesis. Right. There's
1: all, OK, the, the the nothing burger hypothesis says, well, the corporate corporate censorship has always existed. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, most people who are saying this are 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 probably thinking about uh, the I I assume and I've heard from a number of people that they're thinking about the kind of uh, propaganda model that was developed by Chomsky and, and Herman in, in the 80s, um, the way in which uh, institutional bias, along with a, a concentration of capital, develops uh, a, a, a culture of conformity and information control, the manufacture of consent. Um, and the, that w- the given that the corporations have always been suppressing. Uh, information in society in in, within the private realm. The fact that this is now being done online through NGOs is uh, not a a major change. Um, That's the nothing burger argument. However, I wrote a piece for sublation where I pointed out that the um, manufacturing consent uh, approach was uh, structural uh, critique of the market right a, a, a critique of the free market or the free ex- the, the, the marketplace of ideas and it presumed uh that it in some ways was a realm of freedom and then pointed to the ways in which it failed to to to, to actually develop into true free expression in society but it was not meant to say uh that there's no to erase the difference between direct state run uh censorship uh and efforts and and uh you know control mechanisms um it it was meant to say that even in the realm of of, of relative market freedom there are ways in which uh conformity and 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 in, and information control emerges, uh, but not as an equivalent. Um, that that's the first thing I, I would say is that if you talk to Chomsky and even read "Manufacturing Consent," one of the things that he he has always said and which he uh, actually uh, you know has never backed down from is that, in terms of especially free expression, the United States is the absolutely the freest society uh, in the world. That the First Amendment protections that the United States and gives grants its citizens um, is unique and to be defended, and he was not claiming when he wrote Manufacturing Consent that that First Amendment protection was not uh, significant, but rather that it was more difficult than it sh- needed to be or should be to uh, use the freedoms that you have in society that for institutional and uh, economic and political reasons um what we're facing now in this whole of society approach is uh the attempt to roll back those freedoms and make it in fact politically uh and even possibly legally uh impossible to use those first amendment rights so the the, um the common i mean that the it is a whole of society approach through the civil society sector but those civil but that civil society sector that is being implemented is um, to a large extent, uh, especially if you just read the reporting that was done um, from Taibbi and others, uh, cut out organizations um, for the security state. So, like for instance, um, the Election Integrity Project was formed. Uh, after meeting with the D- DHS officials through uh, the agency called CISA, which is a digital agency, um, and their their task was to fill the gaps uh, for CISA to do part, take on projects that SISA for whatever reasons, was un- unable to take up. That would be and the two reasons really given were one, the in, in order to find a way around uh, the First Amendment. The, the, this, this NGO was formed. And secondly, because CISA may not have the technical ability to implement the machine learning processes that were needed to tackle, uh, the control of the internet, which Stanford was uniquely positioned to offer. And so it's coming out of Stanford, uh, university that this NGO was formed. Um, so. We should not think of this as being uh, a whole of society effort, meaning every all the parts of society as free, independent actors are are cr- creating a disinformation culture or uh, the war on disinformation. It's th- like it's not identical with the cancel culture hypothesis, right, where, oh, well, we just had this culture of censoriousness arising organically from maybe blue states. And, you know, that. Kind yeah. Of that. No, it's. Yeah. This is a, a politically uh, constructed um uh, uh, project um and the m- one important thing to understand about it is that what will be censored will isn't going to be fixed. Um it is uh you know operational on a moment by moment, week by week news cycle by news cycle basis. So what in any given moment what is a disadvantageous to the US uh established powers, like that would might be the Biden administration, could be the FBI, um, could be the CDC or Dr. Fauci, but whatever is um, disadvantageous to them will be censored. And that can change uh, based on real life circumstances. So, for example, um, there was a time where saying that the COVID-19 leaked from a lab was actually considered disinformation and censored at at the request of the state. And then that uh, as more evidence came forward and it was no longer thought to be possible or necessary to continue to suppress that information, um, that that censorship was lifted and other things became important to censor. Uh, right now, the for me, the quintessential example is the way in which Seymour Hirsch's article on the bombing of the or the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, is still considered disinformation and still being suppressed online. If you try to post, you you post that a link to that article on Facebook and an alert pops up saying uh, independent fact checkers have found this uh, article to contain disinformation. Uh, Please visit this uh, finished website where you can find uh, a better, uh, you know, more thorough understanding of the story. If you proceed uh, your um, post will be suppressed and all future posts from your account will be suppressed uh, because you're spreading disinformation. So, yeah, <laughs> this is Seymour Hirsch, And it's, so people say it's a nothing burger have to explain on the, the sort of anecdotal level have to explain to me how is it the case that Abu Garib, uh the reporting from uh, out of Abu Garib, was allowed to spread at a time when corporate Censorship was, you know, dominant. um But the uh, Nord Stream pipeline story is being suppressed at a time when the state is directly intervening. I mean, if you there was a difference between the level of censorship and the but the the thing that's very difficult for Marxists to accept, a, a certain kind of Marxists to accept, is that in fact, even though the free market and you know private power within civil society is not equal cannot deliver on liberty uh puts a fetter on production and limits our life in ways that are are not acceptable the absolute concentration of capital into the state and the control and the absolute monopoly power of an imperial state is worse than competition between private capitalists in terms of speech like you and and in terms of free free thought you you're you're going to be better off in a society where a few capitalists have big companies that are big media companies. And then there's these small potato companies that try to compete and they come and go. And, and, you know, rather than the state says this company, this company, this company, and these are all shut down. If you, you know, we're shutting down all these oppositional ones, we're going to control who can be in business around uh, who can have a media business and who, who cannot, and that's another thing that's in the pipeline with the Restrict Act in the United States. Yeah, and in Europe, it's even more direct than that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that does that answer the nothing? Yeah, burger? Yeah, I,
0: I, I think it does. I think it answers the nothing burger. But I guess I, I'm still, I, 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 um, I'm kind of well. Maybe to sort of take a step back now. To again, you back in April articulated these kind of three priorities. And it seems to me that in each and every one of those three priorities, we can see um, a sort of a deficient left, actually. Uh, which mm-hmm. and, and and even since you offered that uh, post in in April, um, the the problem uh, with the left has even I, I would argue been compounded by subsequent developments. Uh, I would offer to you that, that, that and I said this earlier in our discussion today, that, that, the, um, the, the, the problem here in a sense is that we are hesitant to be seen to be terribly critical of the Biden administration. Maybe part of the reason for that is that while we maybe have criticisms of the Biden administration, we're terribly worried that we might land some heavy punches that would diminish him and possibly result in the election of trump you know in the next uh in the next election is that an adequate uh theory as to why the left is i think is, so
1: i mean there's probably other aspects to it um but overall uh the uh fear of having trump take power and if it wasn't trump it would be desantis i mean i don't think it would and in which is really just a a commitment to support the Democratic party Hmm. um, is the explanation for why these things can't be taken up. Um, uh, But uh, I'll say one more thing about the free speech question, which is that um, for me, the failure of the left to understand why, especially people who were in media to understand why this was an important uh, part of the, the you know three priorities, and to for them to call it a nothing burger, um, was di- disquieting, and disturbing, and, and kind of really ang- made me angry. Because sure,
0: yeah. What like, can I stop you for one second yeah. there? Because I I want to yeah. like throw you something here. Listeners to this conversation might not really appreciate the scale of what people like yourself have had to endure in online spaces over the last months in, 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 uh, in these sorts of discussions pertaining to these issues, Mm -hmm. right? Like you've had, uh, because people might be like putting their hands up there. Like, like I haven't, if you follow Sam Cedar's show or, you know, what majority report, um, Mm -hmm. are any of these other sort of, sort of well trafficked sites and and um streaming shows great and good left wing twitter accounts etc right i mean the term pylon comes to mind here you are one of the sort of uh real contenders here for breaking the world record of having been piled on uh, you know, so many times, right? Like, so, so, I just wanted to stop there and and sort of jump in. Like, it, people need to understand how effervescent the uh the the response to people like yourself has been online. It, I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, but it's yeah. I I think what my let me tell you about how I yeah I know. You know no let me tell you let me
1: tell you how I feel about that because I have been. Uh, this was on my first rodeo. I have had pylons in the past around issues that I I thought were less important and where I was more open to being corrected. Like I once said, oh, you know, people are uh, overreacting to Dave Chappelle and, you know, they, right. And I got a huge pylon for that. And, and I still don't think I was entirely wrong. um, But I, my response to it was to go look. Obviously, there are a lot of people who feel a great deal of pain when they hear Dave Chappelle make these kinds of jokes, and I should reach out to them and find common ground. And I had people on to talk about it, and and I tried to be more like uh, have an open point of view. But what what happened with this particular issue was that I just did not. I I couldn't countenance uh, the argument that we should be able to accept um uh this new uh uh le- layer level of censorship that and that we should consider that that the idea that it was a nothing burger was you know made me very uh angry and that when people would say that and then also that it was somehow the, that the one of the sec- kind of secret uh unspoken beliefs out there is that it's all for the best because the people who are getting censored are you know rfk and worse um uh so they're you know vaccine skeptics or they're uh, right. uh, election f- freaks you know think the mm-hmm. election was rigged or they're absolute nazis or something you know which uh, which wasn't something that came up in the twitter files that th- those things are being suppressed but and and so my reaction was as combative as i was like i was as combative as people were attacked as, as much as I was being attacked, I did not try like in the, in other pylons, I would be less combative and I would try to, you know, make amends. And, and, uh, and I, I don't feel as though like I got ratioed that often. Mm -hmm. I just got consistently. uh, 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 My ideas consistently got rejected with kind of empty snark. And, so and that that put me into a place of of uh you know combativeness and um and it made and it also started to fracture relationships with people who were not saying exactly the same thing but were sort of saying would say things like uh well you're overstating how new this is mm-hmm. or you're you're emphasizing this too much or um and what what I think it really comes down to for the, those friends of mine and they're still friends and comrades is that there is a ultimately there's going to be a reluctance to break from the Democrats and around the Biden administration we we're going to to break from the Democrats means doing things that may end up getting Donald Trump reelected that's what it will mean you it won't mean anything else but that if you're if you're going to, critique the current administration and the conditions that are, are uh, being uh, imposed upon working class people of uh, the people of, of Ukraine and Russia and uh, everyone in the whole of society around freedom and, and the freedom and free speech. If you're going to stand on these three pillars, all of that's going to make the Democrats look bad. None yeah. of it is going to land on on the Republicans right now because they're not in power. They didn't cause the war in Ukraine. Uh, you know, they're not the, they're not ultimately responsible for uh, the they don't seem to be. They actually there's no difference, but they don't mm-hmm. seem to be responsible for the recession um, when it comes to the lockdowns and the restrictions on liberties around that came as a result of covid-19. The the effort to try to walk back the power of the security state now that that crisis is past rather than let it move from that crisis into another state of exception and just maintain itself the way that the war on terror did so like we i don't want to live in a society where we're in a permanent pandemic mode you know so all of that is going to mean opposing the progressive democrats and opposing them will mean making it possible for someone like trump to get elected again the the other thing about Trump right now is we look at what's going on with Trump and these indictments. Um, if he is like imprisoned and gets reelected, the United States could face something historic. The conflict that could arise could be historic. It could be a constitutional crisis. Um, there could be a massive amount of unrest. Um, and, does the left want to be in that moment uh, taking the position that anyone who's a socialist and decent and on the left and standing up for working people is going to stand up uh, against whoever is unhappy and un- out in the streets and protesting and outrage And for the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security and the Biden administration, uh, can we find a way to have a left dissident? a left, and an independent left that people could turn to if they are fed up with the the established order, rather than have it all driven into this reactionary populist right. And um, I don't know. I mean, our time is short. We've wasted a bunch of it, but but I I think that's what the project is. And it doesn't mean we need to go out there and say and find reactionaries to bring into the left, but rather realize that the what's driving people uh to trump um to the extent that they're not apolitical and i think most people even now are being just depoliticized by everything that's happening um but the, the what's driving the unrest is our real conditions and if you don't have any way to address those real conditions from a from a socialist perspective one that aims to transcend the conditions, then. You know, you're going to throw it to uh, charlatans like Trump. And I, I the other thing is, my opinion of Trump is that while he is a a gnarly guy, not, you know, no one who I would ever want to see be president and or even the president of my local bowling league. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Nonetheless, I don't think he is a Mussolini. No, Um, I and I don't think that he is uh, the kind of threat to democracy that he's being cast as being. And I think that if he were that the I mean, I would hope that if he really were that kind of threat, that the way that the Democrats would deal with him would be different. Like like he it looked like it was DeSantis's nomination to win up until the point of the first indictment against Trump. Like he Trump announced he was running again. Nobody cared, you know. And then, and then he was indicted, and he became the center of a movement against the Biden.
0: It the elevated him. It rescued his campaign, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think so too. Um, although I have friends who uh, believe that Trump winning the the nomination would be the best thing uh, for the Democrats in the forthcoming election uh i don't know how you feel about that but that's kind of a, a well
1: how, how that would that work out because they would lose the white house but they would gain more seats in congress no that the, the, the idea after the after?
0: idea is that if trump wins the nomination for the republican party oh the nomination that, that yes, he did. is the best candidate from a democratic point of view to 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 win but i but i i I mean I, this is kind of a parlor game uh kind of question so listeners might not necessarily be kind of all that interested in these sorts of speculations but uh I suppose the idea would simply be that you know if if it's a DeSantis win in the in the primaries Trump voters may choose to stay home because a lot of them would come from sort of non-decided or not properly aligned uh, you know in either party kind of uh, the, that famous sort of american undecided middle um non-aligned voter group um whereas if if Trump wins you you actually are setting up for a replay of the last election which was very very close and the question is what have what variables have nudged one way or another since then I think uh, your argument about the kind of the persecution aspect um t- to me I think c- could it, it might not put him over but it it could be just enough the, the the kind of egregiousness of the the liberal slash deep state blob interfering in an election. Just the the, the 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 anti-democratic and offensive nature of that might just be enough to encourage people to vote for Trump just to sort of say, mm-hmm. like, this is not we're not tolerating this, you know much the same mm-hmm. way as say for example well, people might have voted for Lula in Brazil even though they weren't necessarily aligned with his political program they just couldn't believe right. the fact that he'd been imprisoned in such an obviously unfair and inappropriate way
1: Yeah I mean I think that's absolutely possible that the weird the, the weird position we're in though is I mean if Trump gets the nomination no no matter the outcome whether he wins or loses is going to be very bad Right either way and 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 not, and even if you're even if you're only concerned about right wing reaction um it's really bad either way because if Trump loses well you know in 2020 uh the the people who were saying oh the vote was rigged and it they they cheated you know they were smaller a smaller fa- faction within the Republican party than they are now, not because there's more evidence that there was cheating in 2020, but because of the Durham report and the, and the Twitter files, uh, the, uh, the exposure of the, the, uh, censorship that went on and, um, the, the fact that the vaccines that we were lied to about the vaccines and about the origin of COVID, um, you know, we weren't necessarily lied to on a fundamental and level. Like I think it was better to get vaccinated for certainly people over forty than it wasn't. Uh, let's say, but but uh, we were nonetheless lied to. There are lots of things that they overplayed their hands. They were not honest, and so all of these things stack up. Like, oh, RussiaGate was in, it has been exposed as a, a psyop run out of the Clinton campaign with con, you know in conjunction with the FBI. Um And, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci covered up the origins, of, you know, suppressed the investigation into lab leak, um, possibly because he had something to do with the gain of function research, which led to COVID. Right. Uh, and, you know, all these things stack up. And two, can we trust this established order with counting the votes? Mm. And the answer is going to be if Trump loses by a bigger section of the right and even the independent voters no so i think there'll be less legitimacy after that and then after a loss if he wins well you know the 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 established you know the security state and the and the democratic party and the liberal base are just going to be apoplectic and who knows what kinds of things will happen and certainly there's a possibility that he'll win and be in prison um so that's a major crisis in and of itself. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 we, the need for an independent left right now is is pressing because oh, there is no good outcome with aligning with the powers as they are. You know, we have to develop something that will transcend all of the different options within what is currently conceived of as being possible. And that may mean accepting a short-term uh, uh, da- bad outcome, but it'd be nice to have some sort of left voice that was taking a step back during a constitutional crisis and, and you know was able to say, uh, critique like how both Republicans and the Democrats have created a crisis in society that is not to any in anyone's interest and certainly not in the interest of everyday working class people who will be the ones who if things start to crack up and there there is, a, a, a you know, the, there will be economic uh, and social consequences for it that everyday people will feel first. And it, so it would be good to have an independent left where the people could, you know, start to envision a way forward that wouldn't just be uh, barbaric and in reaction Amen
0: to that. Yeah. Um, I guess as a sort of a last question, um I I I kind of want to maybe traditionally this is the kind of where where we ask the what is to be done question, but you've kind of answered that already. Um instead I sort of want to ask you kind of the grand diagnostic question, right? Which is like what what are we calling all of this? You know, when I listen to you and your 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 co-presenter Ashley Frawley uh on Sublation Media Podcast uh talking Uh, as I do religiously every week. Um, I hear you guys referring to concepts like the society of the spectacle. I hear you referring to Mark Fisher's concept, capitalist realism. I hear you invoking contemporary debates about uh, concepts like neo-feudalism. And I think for many listeners to this show, some of those terms might be somewhat familiar, maybe maybe more intimately maybe not at all right mm-hmm. um but it seems that as i listen to you today um you 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 seem pretty convinced that we're we're we're, we're potentially moving towards some fairly serious crisis point here um mm-hmm. is this crisis a crisis that's taking place do you think within Ordinary everyday capitalism, as as maybe say described by Karl Marx, or is there a need for a new terminology? So so this new independent left that's emerging, is it is it is it targeting its sights on capitalism, or is it targeting its sights on some other kind of potentially evolved late stage something? Yeah, you know what? What, I, uh, what are we in here? That, that- uh, you know? Okay.
1: I tend to come at that that question from the perspective of a Marxist, meaning I don't believe that neo-feudalism should be taken up as a a description of a real political economic change in society. We're still in capitalism. We're still in a bourgeois society. If we want to call it neo-feudalism, that's a hyperbolic description of some conditions that exist within society. Um, With the society of the spectacle, I I have been reading that and rereading that book, and kind of uh, critiquing it and thinking about that book for a long time. It just happened to be the book that introduced me to Marxism without me knowing it when I was in my twenties. Yeah, um, and so I can I go back to it um, as as a, a novelist and a <laughs> video maker and yes. and a kind of artist. I kind of like the society's spectacle, you know. It has a it resonates with me, but I think that we should consider the spectacle in terms that are rather mundane. That it has to do with a form of high tech governance rather than uh, a, a change in the political economy. That it is important to understand how that the state and the political economy are in, in you know enmeshed. Um, and the degree to which the state and and the corporate uh, capitalist world are combined is the degree to which things are really running off the rails because that's that's fascism, you know, ultimately, right? Um, so, so, but uh it, it is a but it is a commentary on that, and it is, that does not mean that if we're looking to in a revolutionary moment or in a if we were to gain power, we would need to do more than simply dismantle. Uh, the disinformation uh war you know the, the all these ngos that have popped up and we need to do more than uh try to create authentic media or some you know that none of that's going to really address it we'd have to transform the productive relations in society and not not so so in that sense the spectacle hasn't replaced capital it's just the most dominant, a uh, form of late capitalist uh state management of capital and um is how I think of it. But it is in but it is a very interesting and relevant description of the conditions we're in. And you know reading the comments on the Society of Spectacle again, which was a, a pamphlet published in 1988 originally. Right. Um and seeing the section that he had written about disinformation and and this is like
0: I got hit and in the head with a board and go, oh, yeah, this is, this is exactly what we're, we're facing. Yeah. Um, Never has censorship been more perfect. Right. That's the, that, 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 that being said in, in 1983 is, is, uh, it 88, kind of, but yeah, 88, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, yeah. that's pretty shocking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, it been perfected since then um, even more so. And mm-hmm. so, and what was uh, the, so, so overall I, Think that Marxism is uh, where we should start, and understanding the history of socialism, and and looking back historically over uh, the the history of the struggle for socialism, and trying to remember that a lot of what's happening—you know—the left loves to talk about how marginal and and powerless it is, but in reality. I think that what that is is a cover for the way in which the left is often complicit in the things yes. that it's supposedly trying to, yes. to overcome. Um, so uh, we have had our, our struggle to create socialism has had tremendous historical effects, even as recently as the Bernie Sanders,
0: Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders mm-hmm. campaign. Yeah. I think that's true. Not, yeah.
1: not good ones, but, mm. but nonetheless mm-hmm. major effects. And, mm-hmm. um, so we should take that on board and and think through what Marx's critique of, of uh, capital and uh, our own understanding of what the Marxist project or socialist project is. Um, and, you know, the danger in using terms like neo feudalism or the spectacle uh, or or capitalist realism uh, is that those terms replace uh, uh, terms like commodity and, you know, uh, uh, those kinds of things and value uh, imperialism um, and those those terms are really the fundamental terms and these more fashionable terms are are interesting and they kind of help describe they put a gloss on what is a longer term trend and a consequence of capitalist as a form of production like capitalism as a production
0: couldn't ask you for a, a, a more stimulating and provocative answer doug uh, is there anything I failed to to ask you to in, in our discussion tonight? No, you. It was a
1: lot of <laughs> a lot of fun. What, can I say to you, to your listeners, Please. if you are on Twitter, yeah, if you would send one tweet out to the following people, Elon Musk, say, hey, reinstate Douglas Lane, uh, RFK, maybe tweet, he didn't mean it, something like that, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, tweet to Joe Rogan; he should have me on his podcast. If if you will do those things for me, you will help create socialism in the world. That's my false promise to I everybody. I think we
0: can get Doug Lane on the Rogan show. I, I'm pretty <laughs> certain that that can happen. Uh, uh, there's no reason. There's no reason why he he should not. I mean, you you have to be on his radar. Let's let's be real.
1: right. Right. And I I um have been. Uh well I mean Ben Burgess is a good That's friend right. of mine yeah was on and yeah. I have is but I haven't gotten a response so I'm I'm thinking about trying to email them and seeing if I can go on and here's my logic behind it if I go on Joe Rogan there's a good chance that Elon Musk will see it and, and I can get, get back on Twitter I love it where all my friends are where all your friends are waiting are. to talk to me <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah 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 well uh it's a shame tonight's show isn't being recorded uh live uh you know in in front of a a, 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 you know we can't put this on twitter spaces or something and uh you know (laughs) have you interacting with with your friends who i know you miss dearly and and let me say as as a fan of yours on twitter uh you are missed for sure so
1: I, I tried to not to be too too much of a troll myself on Twitter, but obviously I I I missed the boat on uh at least with that one tweet and probably several others.
0: No, but it is it is ironic that in this uh, supposed moment of uh perestroika uh, Twitter perestroika under the new management that uh someone like yourself is uh proving the exception to the rule right because supposedly it's always the right-wingers that are getting uh, censored under the previous regime you know now you're right now you know, now it's the yeah,
1: left-winger and yeah. i think i was read as i think the i was read straight up as like just a rad lib i hate rfk kind yeah. of twitter account and they looked at my bio and it said marxist and i said
0: that yeah. and they're like you're gone yeah yeah, I hear. Ian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean that makes sense, right? They 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 just went yeah. with the with the bio and decided to to, to pinch you, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, this was great. Thanks so much for 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 coming on, and yep. um, I uh, I wish you well. And I really, really hope uh, to see you reinstated on Twitter soon. And so uh, right, Class you. Unity stands in, in solidarity with with Doug Lane's uh, struggle to be reinstated on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, the most important labor struggle of the yeah, time. Exactly. All right. yeah. Let, let All that right. rallying cry for the masses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug. All Take right. care, mate. Bye. Take care. now. Bye-bye.